Chapter 11 Prince Henry the Navigator, the Hero of Portugal and of Modern Discovery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Prince Henry the Navigator by Charles Raymond Beasley. Chapter 11 Henry's Political Life, 1433 to 1441. The prince's exile from politics in his hermitage at Sagres could not be absolutely unbroken. He was ready to come back to court and to the battlefield when he was needed. So he appeared at the deathbed of his father in 1433 and of his brother in 1438 at the siege of Tangier in 1437 and during the first years of the Regency, 1438 to 1440. He helped to govern for his nephew, Edward's son, Afonso. From 1436 till 1441 he did not seriously turn his attention back to discovery. What is chiefly interesting in the story of these years is the half-religious reverence paid to Henry by his brothers, by Cortes, and the whole people. He was above and beyond his age, but not so much as to be beyond its understanding. He was not a leader where there are no followers. He was one of the fortunate beings who are most valued by those who have lived on the closest terms with them, by father and by brothers. It was believed throughout the kingdom that King John's last words were, an encouragement to the infant to persevere in his right laudable purpose of spreading the Christian faith in the lands of darkness, whether true or not, at any rate it was felt to fit the place and the man, and Henry's brothers, Pedro and Edward, took up loyally their father's commission to keep peace at home and sailing ships on the sea. But the new reign was short and full of trouble. King Edward had scarcely been crowned when the scheme of an African war was revived by Don Ferdinand, the fourth of the famous infants of the House of Avis, 1433. Ferdinand, always a crusader at heart, had refused a cardinal's hat that he might keep his strength for killing the enemies of Christ, and in Henry he found a ready listener. It was the navigator, in fact, who planned and organized the scheme of campaign now pressed upon the king and the country. It was perfectly natural that he should do so. The war of Cueta had been of the first importance to his work of discovery. It had been largely his own achievement and his wish to conquer heathens and Saracens and to make good Christians of them was hardly less strong than his natural bent for discovery and exploring settlement. He now took up Ferdinand's suggestion, made of it a definite project, for a storm of Tangier, and wrung a reluctant consent from Edward and from Cortes. The chief hindrance was lack of money. Even the popularity of the government could not prevent sore grudging and murmuring among the people. Don Pedro himself was against the whole plan, and from respect to his wishes the question was referred to the Pope. Are we to make war on the infidels or no? 
if the infidels in question answered the curia were in christian land and used christian churches as mosques of mohammed or if they made incursions upon christians though always returning to their own land or if doing none of these things they were idolaters or sinned against nature the princes of portugal would do right to levy war upon them but this should be done with prudence and piety lest the people of christ should suffer loss further it was only just to tax a christian people for support of an infidel war when the said war was of necessity in defence of the kingdom if the war was voluntary for the conquering of fresh lands from the heathen it could only be waged at the king's own cost but before this answer arrived the armament had been made ready and things had gone too far to draw back the queen was eager for the war and had brought king edward to a more willing consent so in the face of bad omens an illness of prince ferdinand's and the warning words of don pedro the troops were put on board ship august seventeenth fourteen thirty seven on august twenty second they set sail and on the twenty sixth landed at queta where menenzies still commanded the european triumphs of fourteen fifteen and fourteen eighteen were still fresh in the memories of the moors and don henry was remembered as their hero so it was to him that the tribes of the beni hamid sent offers of submission and tribute on the first news of the invasion the prince accepted their presents of gold and silver cattle and wood and left them in peace during the war for the forces he had with him were barely sufficient for the siege of tangier out of fourteen thousand men levied in portugal only six thousand answered the roll-call in queta a great number had shirked the dangers of africa and the room on shipboard had in itself been absurdly insufficient the transports provided were just enough for the battalions that actually crossed and for a fresh supply they must be sent back to lisbon in the council of war most were agreed upon this as the best thing on paper but the practical difficulties were so great that henry decided not to wait for reinforcements but to push forward with the troops in hand the direct road to tangier by way of zemira was now found impassable and it was determined to march the army round by tetuan while the fleet was brought up along the coast ferdinand who was still suffering and unequal to the land journey was to go by sea while his elder brother as chief captain of the whole armament undertook to force his way along the inland routes in this he was successful in three days he came before tetuan which opened its gates at once and on september twenty third without losing a single man he appeared before old tangier where ferdinand was already waiting his arrival a rumor was now spread that the moors were flying from tangier as they had fled from queta castle two and twenty years before but zala ben zala who commanded here as he had done there now knew better how to defend a town with the desperate courage of his spanish foes the attack instantly ordered by henry on the gates of tangier were roughly repulsed and for the next fortnight the losses of the crusaders were so heavy that the siege was turned into a blockade on september thirtieth 
ten thousand horse and ninety thousand foot came down from the upland to the coast for the relief of tangier henry promptly led his little army into the open and ordered an attack and the vast moorish host which had taken up its station on a hill within sight of the camp not daring to accept the challenge wavered broke and rushed headlong to the mountains but after three days they reappeared in greater numbers and even ventured down into the plain again henry drove them back again next day they returned at last after their force had been swollen to a hundred and thirty thousand men and by overwhelming numbers had compelled the christians to keep within their trenches they threw themselves upon the portuguese outposts after a desperate struggle they were repulsed and a sally from the town was beaten back at the same time the europeans seemed ready to meet any odds with these victories henry was confident that tangier must soon fall he ordered another escalade but all his scaling ladders were burnt or broken and many of his men crushed beneath the overhanging parts of the wall that were pushed down bodily upon the storming parties in this final assault of the fifth of october two moors were taken who told henry of immense succors now coming up under the kings of fez of morocco and of tafilet they had with them said the captives at least one hundred thousand horse their infantry was beyond count sure enough on the ninth of october the hills round tangier seemed covered with the native armies and it became clear that the siege must be raised all that was left for henry was to bring off his soldiers in safety he tried his best with quiet energy he issued his orders for all contingents the marines and seamen were to embark at once the artillery was given in charge of the marshal of the kingdom almada the hercules of portugal was to draw up the foot in line of battle the infant himself took his station with the cavalry on a small piece of rising ground when the moors charged they were well received in spite of all their strength one army being held ready to take another's place as men grew tired the portuguese held their own henry had a horse killed under him cabral his master of horse fell at his side with five-and-twenty of his men the cowardice of one regiment who fled to the ships almost ruined the defence but when night fell the moorish columns fell sullenly back and left the infant one more chance of flight and safety it was the only hope and even this was lost through the desertion of a traitor martin vieira the apostate priest once henry's chaplain now gave up to the enemy's generals the whole plan of escape after a long debate it was determined not to massacre the christian army but to take sureties from them that coeta should be restored with all the moorish captives in the prince's hands these terms were accepted for it was soon known that escape was hopeless but next morning a large party of moors with more than the ordinary muslim treachery made a last fierce attempt to surprise the camp for eight hours eight separate attacks went on when all had failed the retreating berbers tried to set fire to the woodwork of the entrenchments with the greatest trouble henry saved his timbers and under cover of night fortified a new and smaller camp close to the shore 
food and water had both run short and the besiegers who were now become the besieged had to kill their horses and cook them with saddles for fuel they were saved from a fatal drought by a lucky shower of rain but their ruin was only a matter of time for it was hopeless to try an embarkation under the walls of the city with all the hosts of morocco waiting for the first chance of a successful storm but the losses of the native kings and chiefs had been so great that they were ready to sign a written truce and to keep their cutthroats to the terms of it on the fifteenth of october don henry for the portuguese agreed that cueta with all the moorish prisoners kept in guard by menenzes should be given up and that no further attack should be made by the king of portugal on any side of barbary for one hundred years the arms and baggage of the crusaders were to be surrendered at once directly this was done they were to embark with none of the honors of war and to sail back at once to europe don ferdinand was left with twelve nobles as hostages for the treaty till cueto was restored on the other side zala ben zala's eldest son was all the security given even after this a plot was laid to massacre the christian dogs as they passed through the streets of tangier on their free passage to the harbor which the treaty secured them henry got wind of this just in time and instantly embarked his men by boats from the shore outside the walls but his rear-guard was set upon just as they were leaving the land and about sixty were killed it was a terrible disaster although his losses were but some five hundred killed and disabled henry was overcome with the disgrace as he thought of his brother among the moors he refused to show his face in portugal and shut himself up in cueta here as he worried himself to find some means of saving ferdinand he fell dangerously ill till fresh hope came to him with the arrival of don john whom edward had sent to the help of his brothers with some reserves from algarve henry and john consulted about ferdinand's ransom and at last offered their chief hostage zala ben zala's boy as an exchange for the infant it was the only ransom they told the moors that would ever be thought of cueta would never be surrendered don john's mission was a failure as might have been expected and both the princes were now recalled to portugal where henry steadily refused to go to court staying at sagres in an almost complete retirement from his usual interest till king edward's death forced him again into action it was the unavoidable shame of the only choice given to himself and the kingdom that paralyzed his energy and made him moody and helpless through this time of inaction and disgrace captive he saw his brother bright fernand the saint aspiring high with purpose brave who as a hostage in the saracen's hand betrayed himself his leaguered host to save lest bought with price of Seeta's potent town to public welfare be preferred his own the mere failure to storm tangier was brilliantly atoned for by the bravery of the army and the repeated victories over immensely superior force but now either cueta must be exchanged for ferdinand or the youngest and favoured brother of the house of avise must be left to die among the berbers 
many if not most of the cortes summoned in fourteen thirty eight to liria to discuss the ransom were in favor of letting queta go but all the chiefs of the government except the king himself thought it not just to deliver a whole people to the fury of the infidels for the liberty of one man even henry at last agreed in this with don pedro and don john edward was in despair he was willing to pay almost any price to recover Ferdinand, and in hopes of finding support he now appealed from his own royal house and his nobles to the Pope, the cardinals, and the crowned heads of Europe. All agreed that a Christian city must not be bartered even for a Christian prince. Edward's offers of money and perpetual peace were scornfully rejected by the Moors, who held to their bond queta or nothing, and their wretched captive treated to all the filthy horrors of Mussulman imprisonment and slavery and torture, died under his agony in the sixth year of his living death and the forty-first of his age, 5th June, 1443. Before this, his loss had dragged down to the same fate his eldest brother, King Edward, and, but for the inspiration of a great purpose, which again put meaning into his life, Henry might have died of the same illness of soul. Every Portuguese burned to revenge the constant prince. The Pope was called upon to approve a new crusade. Levies were made and vessels built when the plague broke out with terrible violence and ravaged every class and every district as it had not since the days of the Black Death. The king, seized by it in his misery and weakness and bitter disappointment, fell a victim." The wreck of all his hopes left him with hardly a wish to live, and on September 9, 1438, at the age of 47, and after a reign of five years, he died at Thomar, in the act of breaking open a letter, but not before Henry had come to his side. To the last, he kept on working for his people, and it was in the fatigue of traveling from one plague-stricken town to another that he caught the pest. Among all the kings of Christendom there was never a better or nobler or more luckless an Alfred with the fortune of unready Ethelred. By his last will there was fresh trouble provided for Don Henry and Don Pedro and the Cortes. His successor, the child Afonso V, now six years of age, was strictly charged to rescue Ferdinand even at the price of Queta. This was nothing to practical politics. But in naming his wife, Leonor of Aragon, along with Don Pedro and Don Henry, as guardian of his children and regent of the kingdom, he put power in the wrong place. The Portuguese were always intensely suspicious of foreign government, and after the age of Leonora Tellus they might well refuse a female regent. On the other side, King Edward's queen, who had won his absolute trust as a wife and a mother, was not willing to stand aside for Pedro or for Henry. She began to organize a party, and she worked on her side, the nobles and the patriots counterworked on theirs. Don John was the first of her husband's brothers to take his natural place as a leader of the national opposition. Henry, for a time, seemed to waver between friendship and loyalty. All who knew the queen loved her, but the people hated the very notion of a foreign female reign. 
Like John Knox, they could not be fair to the monstrous regiment of women, and their voices grew clearer and clearer for Don Pedro and his rights, real or supposed. The eldest of the young king's uncles, the right-hand man of the state, since his return from travel in 1428, he was the proper guardian of the kingdom. Henry was a willing exile from most of court life, though his support was the greatest moral strength of any government. John had begun the movement of discontent, but no one thought of him before his brothers. While they lived, his only part was in helping them on their way. Donna Leonor recognized her chief danger in Don Pedro, and tried to win him over. When she summoned Cortez, she pressed him to sign the royal writs. Then she offered to betroth his daughter Isabel to her son. Pedro secured a written promise, and waited for the opening of the National Assembly in 1439. Here a fierce outcry was raised by a party of the nobles against the marriage settlement of their king, but Don Pedro was too strong to be put down. He moved on by slow and steady intrigue towards the regency he claimed. Henry had now appeared as peacemaker, and in his brother's interests arranged a compromise. The queen was to keep the actual charge of her children, and to train the little king for his duties. Pedro was to govern the state as defender of the kingdom and of the king. The Count of Barcelos, soon to be Duke of Braganza, the leader of the factious and fractious party, was to be bought off with the administration of the Justice of the Interior. The Queen at first struggled on against this dethronement, fortified herself in Alamquer, and sent for help from her old home in Aragon. At this the mob rose in fury, and only Henry was able to prevent a massacre and a war that would have stopped the expansion of Portugal abroad for many a day. He went straight to Alamquer, 1439, talked Queen Leonor into reason, and brought her back with him to Lisbon, where she introduced Afonso to his people and his parliament. For another year, Henry stayed at court, completing his work of settlement and reconciliation, and towards the end of 1440 that work seemed fairly safe. The fear of civil war was over. Don Pedro's government was well started. Henry could now go back to Sagres to his other work of discovery. It was time to do something on this side, for in the past five years scarcely any progress had been made to Guinea and the Indies. End of chapter 11